Good morning. Good morning, uh, Elam Church, and uh, good morning, uh, any visitors who are uh, curious as to what we get up to on a Sunday morning and have uh, logged in uh, too. Excellent to see some uh, comments uh, there, and uh, just uh, appreciate uh, your support. As always, let me suggest uh, to get the best out of the next half an hour of this uh, sort of YouTube sermon. Uh, suggest you get a Bible. Uh, there's lots of ones on the uh, sort of Google Play Store and Apple App Store, um, which you're welcome on your device, your phone or your iPad. Uh, or uh, actually go old school and get a proper uh, sort of pages Bible. Um, and uh, take that out because I, I think it's really helpful just to check what I'm saying and, and uh, uh, sort of underline and, and that sort of thing and perhaps also get a notebook. I think uh, it's been proven that people learn better when they sort of take notes, when they sort of record down uh, what they're hearing rather than just sort of uh, allow the words to wash over you. So let me encourage you be uh, sort of diligent uh, for this half an hour. I mean, you haven't even had to get out of bed, some of you, so uh, um, sort of uh, uh, try and engage with it. Um, my setup slightly different, so I'm a little bit worried that I'm going to knock something over, and I seem to have uh, forgotten the mic, um, which is still at the barn. So if sound quality or the podcast is poor, uh, I apologise. Um, let me open in a prayer, um, and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the capacity to uh, come together online. Heavenly Father, I pray that your word will be spoken, that hearts will be encouraged and challenged. Lord God, we want to move with Jesus. We want to move to be more like him. We want to find ourselves uh, brighter lights in the darkness. Heavenly Father, I pray uh, that everyone's interconnection and internet connection and technology uh, uh, would work um, and that this time would be productive for everyone. And all God's people said, Amen. I can hear the uh, uh, echoes from everyone's homes. Excellent. Um, appreciate the uh, sounds good. So uh, that means something's working at least. Um, it's nice not to rely on my little phone. Uh, for the internet connection, but to have some serious broadband. Um, so I just want to uh, acknowledge that coming back online can might feel to some people like a step uh, backwards. You know, uh, we've been meeting for a few months in the barn. We've uh, had the headache of all the uh, uh, restrictions, but th there has been a sense of this is progress. And then this may feel like a, a step uh, backwards. But um, as many of you know, uh, we're doing this because my family and I have to self-isolate because we're really praying that our um, oldest son uh, will have an operation tomorrow. And so we've had a COVID test and we've been told now uh, you've been cleared of that. And uh, uh, we're really hoping and praying um, that he can have an operation uh, skin graft put on a hole in his eardrum. Um, so I just want to thank you for the love and consideration and no one sort of huffed or anything and everyone's sort of uh, said they're praying for us. And I just want to be uh, just want to say thank you on the behalf of uh, Sam and I and my children uh, for your support. Um, 
And as you're just thinking about prayer, I just want to acknowledge the fact. So uh, we prayed as a community for a little girl last week uh, who seemed to be in, in real need. Uh, um, she was in hospital um, and things weren't going well. And we've been praying this week. Um, and as far as I'm aware, she's made uh, quite a miraculous um, recovery. The family uh, that we know have said, you know what, this... Uh, uh, um, the, 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 the problem seemed to get sort of smaller and smaller as they looked at it. And uh, in the end, it, it didn't need the, uh, the medical intervention that they expected in the little girls at home now. So just thank you for your prayers and your concern and your input uh, into that and, and be encouraged that prayer works. And, uh, um, uh, and uh, uh, thank you uh, for that. Um, you may have noticed that virus infections and deaths are on the increase uh, both in our country and in, in, in other in other regions um, and so it may be uh, that we're called upon to be flexible again in the future um, and uh, so uh, uh, please be aware we don't know uh, what sort of public health demands are going to be made on us um, hopefully we can still meet um, sort of uh, on a Sunday uh, physically but we don't know so it's good to um, uh, sort of uh, just be thankful uh, of where we have uh, where we are um, I know there's various other churches um, especially evangelical ones um, that are bat battling these like childish conspiracy theories you know there's a there's a plot um, and they're often anti-semitic at core or uh, racist um, if you if you look uh, far down the line um, and these are really damaging these have been damaging to a lot of churches um, and I just thank you that that hasn't been a problem in our fellowship. And I just thank you, church, for not indulging uh, some of the um, thoughts and uh, trains of reasoning uh, that YouTube and Facebook, their algorithms lead you down because they just want to show you more adverts. Um, and so I thank you that we haven't had to battle with that uh, much uh, in our uh, church. Um, and it's been interesting, hasn't it? We, we've all had to grow up a bit in our faith. You know, uh, we have these habits, these religious habits. You know, you go to church, go to prayer meeting, have your devotional. And, and hopefully these are sort of structured in your day. But when things like um, singing at church is taken away, you kind of have to find uh, your motivation to do it yourself. You have to grow up. You have to um, rather than someone telling you when to sing and when to not and when to pray and when to not. Uh, you have to do it voluntarily. And, and so this has been a season where hopefully we have found ourselves growing up in our faith, that we don't need Kevin to preach to us for us to take in the word of God. We don't need uh, Tim to lead us in a song to sing songs to Jesus. Um, and um, I wonder, you know, if, if this pandemic leads us all into a more healthy prayer life and a uh, a more voluntary uh, reading of scripture, um, then then that seems to be a, a good consequence of a, a quite a, a horrible tragedy that's sort of ravaging um, the globe at the moment. Um, just a big thank you to all those that have downloaded the reading plan on the website um, that have been going through the letters of Paul. Um, I think it's really good as a church just to go through these different uh, uh, reading plans and, and uh, sort of emphasise particular bits of scripture in our morning devotionals. Thank you for all those that asked for it. I wanted to do it, but I didn't want to impose and just really appreciate um, the, the positive feedback 
about that. If you do not know what I'm talking about, go on our website um, and check out the uh, COVID-19 tab. And under that is a reading plans tab and you can print out, um, I think it's a PDF document or just bookmark it on your phone and, and you can sort of scroll to it whenever you want um, and join us uh, uh, through the letters of Paul, which uh, the, uh, the Apostle Peter says they are long uh, and Paul's often very clever and loses some of us in his arguments, but nevertheless, uh, they're worth uh, persevering in and uh, we're doing that together, hopefully. Um, excellent. Um, so currently, I think um, if you'd follow it day by day um, and it's a 90 day plan, we're currently going through uh, 1 Corinthians. So this is Paul's first recorded letter uh, to the Corinthians. Uh, there may have been previous ones, uh, uh, but this is the first one preserved and and recognized as Christians, as canonical, as as uh, word of God. Um, so I've been looking at that in my own personal devotions, as hopefully you have. Um, and there was one passage that I, I came to that I was um, just sort of inspired to stop at. And, and, and for the rest of the day and for the rest of the week, it sort of uh, reverberated and knocked around my brain. Uh, a bit like a pinball in one of those pinball machines kept clattering around. And I felt um, that it was something that needed to be uh, uh, looked at a little closer. So if you've got a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Good to see some good comments on it. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says this. And so Paul's kind of uh, justifying his apostleship, you know, saying, oh, I'm a church leader and you need to recognise me. And, and um, the values you use to judge apostles, um, uh, they perhaps aren't good ones. So it says this. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear but that does not make me innocent. Let me read that again. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. As I reflected on that, I, I, I've spent actually many happy hours um, in my study in here, sort of reading lots of different novels to illustrate my very first point, because um, it's both astonishing and widely known. It's, it's something that's surprising, but on reflection, everyone knows it's true. And uh, it's quite a fascinating aspect of humanity. Um, so if you look in literature, and indeed if you look in almost all fiction, um, it's very common to have a villain. It's very common to have a man or a woman who 
whose actions or whose input into the storyline leads to chaos and uh, immorality and death. They, uh, they are a force that brings uh, destruction. Now, if the story is good, if it is substantial, if it has been uh, well thought out, there will be a moment when a reason comes forth, when an explanation rises to the surface to justify what the person is doing. You see, it's rarely just because the person wants to be evil. It's rarely because the person just goes, oh, I just want to be horrible. They have a, uh, a motive that suddenly we can relate to. Uh, so in Robin Lewin Stevenson's Dr. Jekyll, um, there's all sorts of uh, monsters that come out of it, but it's it, it's from a position he wants self-knowledge. He wants to know himself. And so out of uh, this motive, all sort of disaster comes forth. Jules Verne's uh, Captain Nemo, he's been struck by humanity and he wants to uh, uh, help the poor and he wants to strike back at, at those uh, uh, that sort of force themselves on others. Um, and we find in Bra even in Bram Stoker's Dracula, this this count who, who just wants life, who just wants to go on living, you know, and, and we find in these in these villains an explanation that we can relate to. Uh, let me read uh, uh, a favourite villain of mine, um, Dr. Frankenstein. So it says this. Um, I began the creation of a human being. As the minuteness of the parts formed a great hindrance to my speed, I resolved, contrary to my first intention, to make the being of a gigantic stature, that is to say, about eight feet in height, and proportionately large. After having formed this determination and having spent some months in successfully collecting and arranging materials, I began. So it's quite a gruesome uh, thing, isn't it? No one can conceive the variety of feelings which bore me onwards like a hurricane. In the first moments of enthusiasm of success, life and death appeared to me ideal bounds which I would first break through and pour a torrent of light into our dark world. You can hear these um, positive motives, can't you? Surely these are good things. A new species would bless me as creator and source of many happy and excellent natures would owe their being to me. No father could claim the gratitude of his child so completely as I should deserve theirs. Pursuing these reflections, I thought if I could bestow animation upon lifeless matter, I might, I might in process of time, although I now find it impossible, I might renew life where death had apparently devoted the body to corruption. These thoughts supported my spirits while I pursued my undertaking with ardour. My cheek had grown pale with study and my person had become emaciated with confinement. And if you know the story, you'll know that he creates this monster um, and it just wreaks havoc on his life and uh, the sort of... Uh, the question of humanity and identity and soul are sort of really well explored by a, uh, as far as I can see, a, a teenage girl called Mary Shelley at the time. 
So there's this masterpiece of horror and Victor Frankenstein creates a new life and he does it through these motivations of inquisitiveness, in benevolence, you know, wanting to be good for humanity and, and there's an arrogance as well, you know, I want to be the father of this new species and they will devote themselves to me. Um, and this heady motivation, this heady cocktail of uh, driving forces leave uh, uh, to all manner of grief and violence and loneliness and death. Uh, Mary Shelley, when you wrote it, she was sort of competing with some other uh, luminary uh, artists at the time. They wanted to write a horror story and this was hers. It's true that everyone has a conscience. Everyone has this internal moral compass. For everyone, there are things that they think are right and they think are wrong. We are these bizarrely moral creatures. But our morality seems varied and it regularly fails to help us. In It seems uh, confused and corrupted at so many points. And so often we live our lives and we, we think we've sated our conscience. We think we've satisfied our conscience about, by our behaviour. But our conscience isn't a rule. It isn't a guide uh, with infallibility. It isn't something that we can set our life by. To live true to yourself is not enough because we ourselves are deceived. I'm sure you can think of examples in your own lives where you thought you were pursuing the right action um, and perhaps even have good intentions but where it all ends badly and you suddenly discover that there was no purity at the start. I think often the uh, phenomenon of white lies is often uh, falls into this category. And so the Apostle Paul, I think, is very right when he asserts that our consciences are not perfect. Even he admitted his conscience was not perfect. It is not the perfect guide to right and wrong. When you look at scenarios and ask what you should do, your conscience is not enough. And we can see this in both believers and unbelievers. Neither believer nor unbeliever has this uh, uh, perfect response to choices. We, um, they can sometimes help us, you know, they, they can sometimes lead us away from danger. But so often we can compromise them and argue with them and, and settle on a, a um, path that does us and other people no good. And later on, Paul is still writing to these Christians in the city of Corinth, and he's found their consciences so confused that one Christian is following his conscience to the damage of another. One Christian thinks that his rights are so important, so morally right, that he's viciously persecuting another. Just listen to this corruption of the conscience amongst believing Christians. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 uh, verse 5. I say this to shame you. It's an uplifting beginning to any passage of scripture. Is it possible there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers. But instead, one brother takes another to court. And this is in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated 
already. Can you hear his indictment of their faulty consciences? Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? And if you think this was a small issue, Paul gets really heavy now. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Their consciences were imperfect and this led them to even hurting their brothers and sisters in the church. A phenomenon that Paul acknowledges in himself and he says it is making a mess of this fellowship. And uh, 600 years earlier, the great uh, prophet Jeremiah writes this in uh, Jeremiah 17:9, just because it's a, a famous uh, reflection on conscience, on heart. Um, it's an indictment of all those songs that talk about just follow your heart, just follow your feelings, do whatever you think is right. And then it says this in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things beyond cure. Mm. Suddenly following your heart doesn't seem so such a good idea. Who can understand it? Well, we can all probably recognise that and so we have this conscience but it is far from perfect it is corrupted it is messy if this is true if this internal moral compass is not always pointing north what are we to do where can we go to how can we know truth and goodness and life if i cannot judge things well what mechanism can I use to make a good decision? Let me read that uh, earlier passage, 1 Corinthians uh, 4. It says this. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. In this short paragraph, the apostle uh, realigns us. He reminds us that while we may have a moral compass, it is not always accurate. But God, he is true and enduring and always points to himself. He is the true north. He is the definition of goodness and light uh, and uh, all things proper. He is the measure of what is good 
or what is wrong. In some ways, the idea is, is God good? Is nonsense because God is the definition of good. If you want to know what is good and what is evil, you find out what is like God and what is foreign to him. He is the rule by which we find whether something is beautifully good or ugly and wrong. In ancient Israel, God spoke. God decreed things. God said stuff. And they were for the mankind's benefit. They were Israel's benefit. And they were recorded for generations to come. Um, and I want you to listen to this. Uh, listen to the Swiss theologian Karl Barth talk about the law that was given. So God, the originator of goodness and truth, he says this about the law that was given uh, to the uh, Israelites. The law is the revelation once given by God, given in its completeness. The law is the impression of divine revelation left behind in time, in history and in the lives of men. It is a heap of clinkers, and that's kind of like the uh, material left after coal's burnt out. Uh, marking a fiery miracle which has taken place. A burnt out crater disclosing the place where God has spoken. A solemn reminder of the humiliation through which some men have been compelled to pass. A dry canal which in past generation and under different conditions have been filled with the living water of faith and clear perception. A canal formed out of ideas and conceptions and commandments. All of which call to mind the behaviour of men and demand that their conduct should be maintained. The men who have the law are the men who inhabit this empty canal. They are stamped with the impress of the true and unknown God because they possess the form of traditional and inherited religion, or even the form of an experience which once had been theirs. Consequently, they have in their midst the signpost which points them to God, to the crisis of human existence to the new world which is set at the barrier of this world and we have this very evocative description by uh, Karl Barth of what the law does of how it leads people to truth but it, it, it doesn't have the power that is necessary for redemption it shows us what is right and wrong but doesn't really help us in achieve that These canals that conjured up memories of God's holiness were there and sometimes it helped the Jews. But again and again, we read in scripture how they uh, fall back into old habits of justifying outrageous sin. And if you look through the annals of the Old Testament, you will find sin and sin and sin again, even though they have the word of God, even though they have the law of God, even though they have canals of his word. And that human experience of failing up to live, failing to live up to the perfect will of God continued even after he'd shared uh, uh, the good and evil definitions that he held so dear. And the Jews felt and the rest of humanity continued to fall short of the glory of God. And so, and this is the good news. This is the uh, answer. This is the help. Because of this, God's word 
came in human form. Jesus came, lived absolutely beautifully. He lived, died unjustly and rose again. And his sacrifice, his example, his death and resurrection means that we are saved by grace. We are not saved by following our consciences. We are not saved by following rules written in a book. We are not saved by doing always the right thing. We are not saved by any other means than our trust that God has made a way. Now, as, a, as we embrace this free salvation, God does something wonderful. In the Old Testament, there is this longing for God to change the hearts. Jeremiah said, you know, it's, it's uncurable, this heart. What, what can we do with it? And then God does something that uh, transforms everything. When we confess Jesus as Lord and Saviour, he puts his spirit in us. This spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, that inspired the words of scripture, that hovered over the chaos of the earth in Genesis 1. That lives in us. He lives in us. And suddenly these consciences with this variable true north suddenly have the, uh, have the perfect help. And uh, this is why um, the Holy Spirit is often called the, uh, the helper or the counsellor. This is someone that comes and brings clarity when there is when we only see fog in our moral choices and the choices of how we live and uh, breathe. And he brings clarity through prayer and through reading. My friends, God alone is the judge of our actions. Because he alone knows our context. He, know, he alone knows what is properly right and wrong. He alone knows our hearts. He alone can look at a man and make the perfect judgment of uh, how well they are doing. We're very good at pointing a finger and saying, well, he's failing and he's doing well. Um, if you are in any sort of public sphere, uh, uh, you get that constantly. People calling you one way or another. Uh, our Prime Minister is subject to all sorts of judgments. Some saying, oh, bless him, he's doing his best, and others look at him and condemn him for uh, mistakes. And we all have this tendency to call out someone. And Paul reminds us that only God can make the right call on these things, because only he knows everything. And so we must be careful in criticising others. We must be careful in calling out people as wrong. And so as this world presents increasingly complicated choices, um, and it does seem to me that we are presented with a, a whole range of options that we never had before, um, as we are given all sorts of different options to choose from, we must listen to the Holy Spirit. The uh, blurb on the product to buy or on the philosophy to adopt these things can often lead us astray, but the Holy Spirit doesn't. We listen to him, we abide in him, we rest in him, and suddenly there is a way forward. There is no temptation that 
you can face that the Holy Spirit cannot provide you the perfect way out of. If you don't know Jesus and you are still listening to this and still persevering, please see that you have no rule for right and wrong. These are things that are being made up in your mind as best you can and uh, you are not adequate to the job. Without God, you are making a path for yourself that leads nowhere. And if that is you, then you need to come to the Son because he is truth and life. And he is only the, he's the only true measure of what is right and wrong, what is good and perfect. Without, that, without Jesus, there is no route into salvation. But with him, every choice has the capacity to be good. Only with him can you leave evil behind because there is no other power that will help you do that. If we do know Jesus, please know that our consciences are still imperfect. You know, these bodies are still uh, imperfect. Uh, even though Jesus has died and rose again, even though God's kingdom is coming, they are still aging. They still get sick. Um, and... Uh, Similarly, our consciences have not been made perfect yet. And so they need to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit and only when resurrection comes will we have perfect consciences and know the will of God perfectly. And so to guide us thoroughly through this world, to make us best equipped for all the different circumstances of life, we must be familiar, first of all, with Scripture. Because you see, the Spirit has already left so much guidance for us in the word of God. There are so many questions that people come up with that God has already answered. You don't need a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit to know whether particular sins are acceptable or not. They are not. You don't need to pray about it to see if gossiping is okay, to see if stealing is suddenly acceptable, to see if infidelity has a suddenly a reasonable basis. You don't need the Holy Spirit to touch you again to find out if your greediness is something that's righteous. These things are already written down. The Spirit has already said, do not do these things. Avoid them. They do not lead to goodness. And having taken this enduring wisdom in Scripture, we need to pray often and fully so that the Spirit of truth, so that what we've read in Scripture can filter into our context and in our setting, there are all sorts of scenarios that the Bible doesn't explicitly come down on. What does it say about wearing masks? Or what does it say uh, about um, looking at uh, sort of wasting time on YouTube? The Bible doesn't explicitly say things. And so in these situations, it is good to contemplate the word of God and to draw near to the Holy Spirit in prayer and listen to his voice and guidance and so that we are led in truth through all the different things that we encounter in 21st century Bewbush. Recently I've been enjoying some uh, early Christian literature. This is sort of stuff written in the first century so alongside some of the stuff 
that we regard as Bible, that we regard as uh, canonical, as, that we regard as the word of God. And there's some other stuff that was written at the same time that wasn't regarded as perfect, but was still widely read. By first century Christians and I love to sort of read uh, uh, a little bit beyond uh, uh, what uh, we have written down in scripture um, and so as we uh, consider this need not to rely just on our heart and, or our conscience but to listen to the spirit and follow his word I want you um, to listen to this um, it's an early writings um, from the first century um, so it's the uh, from the epistle to Diognetus um, and it says this the difference between Christians and the rest of mankind is not a matter of nationality or language or customs and Christians have got this confused so often but here we have in the first century this truth Christians do not live apart in separate cities of their own. They do not speak any special dialect nor practice any eccentric way of life. The doctrine they profess is not the invention of busy human minds and brains, nor are they, like some, adherents of this or that school of human thought. They pass their lives in whatever township, Greek or foreign, each man's lot has determined and conform to ordinary local usage in their clothing, diet, and other habits. We look like everyone else. Nevertheless, the organization of their community does exhibit some features that are remarkable and even surprising. For instance, though they are residents at home in their own countries, their behavior there is more like that of transients. They take their full part as citizens, but they also submit to anything and everything as if they were aliens. For them, any foreign country is a motherland and any motherland is a foreign country. Like other men, they marry and beget children, though they do not expose their infants. Any Christian is free to share his neighbor's table, but never his marriage bed. Though destiny has placed them here in the flesh, they do not live after the flesh. Their days are passed on the earth, but their citizenship is above in heaven. They obey the prescribed laws, but in their own private lives, they transcend the laws. They show love to all men and all men persecute them. They are misunderstood and condemned, yet by suffering death, they are quickened into life. They are poor, yet making many rich, lacking all things, yet having all things in abundance. They are dishonored, yet made glorious in their very dishonor, slandered, yet vindicated. They replay calumny, with blessings and abuse with courtesy for the good they do they suffer stripes as evildoers and under the strokes they rejoice like men given new life jews assail them as heretics and greeks harass them with persecutions and yet of all their ill wishes there is not one who can produce good grounds for his hostility to put it briefly the relation of christians to the world is that of a soul to the body and I haven't heard this before and it might be uh, go slightly too far, but just wanted you to listen to this. As the soul is diffused for every part of the body, so are Christians through all the cities of the world. The soul too inhabits the body while at the same time forming no part of it. And Christians inhabit the world, but they are not part of the world. 
the soul, invisible herself, is immured within a visible body. So Christians can be recognised in the world, but their Christianity itself remains hidden from the eye. The flesh hates the soul and wars against her without any provocation because she is an obstacle to its own self-indulgence. And the world similarly hates Christians without provocation because they are opposed to its pleasures. All the same, the soul loves the flesh and all its members, despite their hatred for her and Christians too love those who hate them and it goes on quite a bit friends in a in a limited and non-heretical sense we are the soul of this world the world needs us to be different and he often hates us for being so and this difference does not come from listening to ourselves because that's what everyone else does we are different because we pay attention to God Almighty. We imbibe his word and we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And that means that all the self-justificating errors that our neighbours make uh, wreck stuff. We are people who lead lives differently and bring lightness and salt and that. Is beautiful even though it is hard work please bow your heads Heavenly Father we just thank you that you have not left us on our own to get on with life for God we realize that our consciences are imperfect instruments that uh, since the fall uh, they don't guide us true north Holy Spirit we thank you that you are there to make up for that Holy Spirit, may we be really good at listening to you. May we be really good at reading the words that you've preserved in Scripture for the last uh, uh, many thousand years. Lord God, I pray that we would be familiar with the uh, moral and religious and faith truths we find in the books of the Bible. And Lord God, I pray also in these strange times, in the 21st century in Bubish, as we seek to lead upright lives as we seek to be salt and light to a world that is uh, uh, desperate and confused. Lord God, I pray that we may point north. God, I pray that we would be the soul that other people discover their need for. Lord God, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.